I hope you all have had a good semester. I, I've had a fun one at least, right? Yeah? But, but I'll miss you guys. And, and so we're all going to like leave this place and, and you know, you're going to survive finals. I won't promise you pass, but you'll survive, right? That's something. At least you're not dead. So, you know, if you, if you set your expectations low, you're rarely disappointed. Just throwing that out there, right? So, sweetie, what are you, what are you hoping for finals? To live. And that's okay, right? No, in, in, we're going to do finals and we're all going to go back home, Right? So that, that's good. That, that can be good. So um, whenever I come home, my two youngest, uh, George and Harold, actually tomorrow is Harold's fourth birthday. Yeah. Yeah. We kept another human alive for a whole year. It's great. Again, expectations low, really disappointed. Anyway, so, so whenever I come home, right, I love coming home because my two youngest, George and Harold, They've been probably watching Power Rangers all day, right? And so the first thing they want to do when I open the door is fight, right? They're just like, Daddy's home! And then they just start punching me, right? Which is fun. It's fine. They have tiny fists of fury, right? And it doesn't, like, hurt, you know? And then I can just, my favorite thing to do is just grab their head and push them over, right? It's one of, the, one of the joys of parenting is that when children are learning how to walk, their heads are giant and they're very top heavy. It just takes a little nudge and you watch them go, Whoa! it's great. It's great. They'll need therapy later. It's fine. But so Harold is now at the age where he discovered something about his height, right? He discovered that he can take daddy down with one hit because he's at that height now, right? And he discovered this, it was about two weeks ago, right? And, and now, like, every day that I've come home from work, open the door, I'm greeted with a particular pain that women don't understand. And uh, two days ago, he decided that he just wanted to run full steam into me head first. So, we're done having kids. <laughs> Staying at five, praise God. Um, so, coming home is not always fun, right? There's times where you're like, yeah, I'm home. And other times you're greeted by Harold. And uh, you just got to take a knee for five minutes or so. <sighs> Breathe. Anyway. And the whole time, my wife has no pity. She's like... I gave birth to five kids. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, I get it. <laughs> See, I can say this because she's not here and she probably won't listen to the podcast. So I'm safe. It's good. If you sell me out, Nestor, I will cut you. <laughs> all right. So we're going to talk about returning home, right? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. I'm not just going to talk about my children abusing me. Um, so if you have your Bibles, let's open up to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, all right? So uh, cool little Bible nerd note. Nehemiah comes right after Ezra because the two in the Hebrew Bible are one book, right? And so this is kind of like the Bible's version of a shared universe, right? You got Ezra and Nehemiah and then Malachi joins in. They actually reference each other. It's pretty cool. Nobody cares but me. I'm sorry. All right. Anyway, so we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 8. 
right? And we're cutting out like one verse in the middle because they have like just a bunch of detail that don't really stick with the story. You know what I'm saying, right? Okay. Okay, so on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and women and others who could understand. Kind of makes me wonder, were there any men and women there that couldn't understand? They were just like, hey, Ralph, why don't you hang back for a little bit? Anyway. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Verse 5, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Isn't that beautiful? They had just returned from exile, right? This is kind of the, this is like a pinnacle moment. So what had happened is the Israelites had just gotten permission to return from exile, right? If we all remember our Bible history, right? Because we all went to Sunday school. Uh, No, okay, what happened? Because I was one of those dudes that didn't know what was going on. So what had happened is that the northern kingdom, there had been a division. And the northern ten tribes, you know, they got obliterated by the Assyrians. But the southern kingdom, which was just... The two tribes of Benjamin and Judah had held out, right? And then finally the Babylonians rolled through and they destroyed Jerusalem and they displaced the population, right? So the temple, the palace, the walls, it was all in ruins. And they removed the majority of the people that lived there and forced them to live in Babylon in captivity, right? Well, the Babylonian Empire gets conquered, and the Persians roll in, and the Persians are, they're very woke, right? The Persians were really woke. They were all like, you know what, you believe what you believe, and I'll believe what I believe. You know, and they're like, you do you, right, Ryan? You know what I'm saying? All right, amen. So the Persians, then he, you know, uh, King Cyrus, he's like so woke, he's like, you know what, I'm going to give you money to build your temple again, and rebuild your city. And so this guy with a terrible name, Zerubbabel, right? How would you like to be called Zerubbabel, right? So Zerubbabel leads the first wave of exiles back and they lay the foundations of the temple, okay? Because the temple's been busted up. It was Solomon's temple. They laid the foundations, okay? And then they had this big temple dedication ceremony. And it was like huge, right? Because they're like, we're rebuilding the temple of God. Now... Previously, whenever they had had a temple thing happen, right? You go back to Moses, like anytime there was a temple, it was like lit. Literally lit because fire would fall from heaven, okay? I'm throwing out as much slang as I can this time, right? You're like, wow, dad, stop. I'm going to make sure you never talk like that again because I'm going to ruin it tonight, all right? Like Moses dedicates the tabernacle and fire falls from heaven and God's presence is there so strongly that not even Moses can enter the tabernacle, right? And that was like their mobile temple. And then Solomon, right? Solomon builds his temple, right? And when he prays, fire falls from heaven, God's presence there. People can't even get near it because they're like, I'm going to die, right? And so here they are laying the foundations of the temple again and they're all praying And nothing happens. Nothing happens. And the elders and the scribes and the ones that knew the word of God wept. 
they wept because there was no fire from heaven. There was no miracle. There was nothing special. Right? And then we come to Nehemiah, and in this part of Nehemiah co- corresponds with Ezra chapter 3. Right? Ezra and Nehemiah come, they follow Zerubbabel, and they, they're like, okay, maybe, maybe it didn't work because we didn't do it the right way. Right? And so they start cleaning out the temple. They come and renew culturally. Right? And they're like, we're not living right. That's why God didn't do it. And so while they're cleaning out the temple, they discover the book of the law. They discover the Torah. And that's why Ezra's reading it. Because he's like, guys, I found the book of the law. We lost it. Now I have it. Now we can do it right. And so they get together and they have this thing, which I just read you, right? They got together for eight days. And all day they stood and listened to Ezra read the word of God to them. And then at the end of that, they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a huge feast day, right? They were celebrating the, the Feast of Tabernacles, like celebrates Israel's return or Israel coming out of Egypt, right? And they had just come out of Babylon. So it was like a super meaningful moment for them because like, hey, that was just like us. God's doing the same thing. See, right? And they're coming out of, and they're celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles and then they're offering sacrifices. And then every man, every head of household stands up and says, I pledge to follow God's law. I'm going to do what he wants. I'm going to live for, I'm going to live for Yahweh, right? And then at the end of all the repenting, All the sacrifices, the seven days of reading the Torah, all the celebrations, all of it, nothing happens. No presence of God, no fire from heaven. And what was even worse is that not all the Israelites actually went into captivity. Some of them were left. Right? And so when you have the exiles returning... There's some people kind of standing on the sidelines, like, making fun of them. Right? I think the kids say, throwing shade, is that still a thing? Is it cringeworthy yet? Are y'all done? Are y'all dying yet? I'm going to keep going. Emily's begging me to stop. Okay. But if you read the story, you'll see that the reason why the non-exiles... Were throwing shade was because they didn't think that the exiles that returned would remain zealous. And if you read chapter 13 of Nehemiah, you will see that they were right. After all of the celebration, all of the promises, and all the dedications, they were ignoring God's laws. They were turning the temple walls into marketplaces, they were working on the Sabbath. They were mistreating their servants. They were right. The returning exiles did not remain zealous. Of course, if you're an exile and somebody's like, yeah, this is all going to pass. This is just a phase, right? It made them angry. And you can read in the text, if you go and read Ezra and Nehemiah, like it's a quick read, you'll see that they lashed out in anger. And some of these divisions lasted until the day of Jesus. That's kind of a lame homecoming. Almost as lame as the way Harold greets me. Right? 
So another story of a homecoming occurs in the New Testament, right? I promise we're going to get to a point here. So if we flip to Matthew chapter 13, we'll have it up on the screen for you as well, right? Jesus has been doing all this awesome, miraculous stuff. He's preaching these words that are blowing everybody's mind. They're like, you know, and then Jesus comes back to his hometown and it says, coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom in these miraculous powers? They asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't, this, isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters here with us? When did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. They busted his chops. Who are you? You're one of us. What are you doing? Why are you talking? You think you're better than us? Look, your mom, your brothers, your sisters, they're all here. You're just one of us. Who do you think you are? Right? Isn't that crazy? Imagine how they felt on Judgment Day. Anyway, sorry. See, they, they knew who Jesus was. They knew where he was from. And they didn't take him seriously. Who are you to tell tell me these things? Right? Between these two stories, it kind of makes you think that you shouldn't go home at all, huh? People constantly doubting you or greeting you with crotch punches. But here's the thing. Is that both of these passages, they focus on miraculous events. They focus on the fireworks, the flash, the bang, the noise, the light. They focus on the big event. And some of you have had that experience this semester. At least I hope, otherwise I'm wasting a lot of my time. But some of you have had that experience. Maybe the lights have come on for you. You know? Maybe you found Jesus for the first time, being a part of this community, being a part of our family. Maybe, maybe you're out of your parents' house and your faith has become your own now. It's you that drives it. It's not mom making you go to Sunday school, right? Or maybe, maybe you're, you had faith at one point. Maybe it was your own, but, but for whatever reason, the light dimmed, the fire cooled. But now it's been rekindled. That's a miracle. That's dead coming back to life, right? And don't we all want to carry that back home with us? Don't we all want to take what God has done in us and hope that he does it through us at home? I'm I'm worried about you if you don't. So... If you were anything like I was, you're going to be really excited to show your family and tell your family who you are now. And you're going to come home and you're going to want to just open your mouth and talk. And maybe some of you are hoping for a miracle in your family. 
Maybe we're hoping for some fireworks. Like I used to think maybe if if I said the right words or if I had the right arguments or if I prayed the right prayers, my whole family would get saved. If I just did it the right way. And that may be true. But what if the fire never falls? What if you dedicate the temple the right way? And God's presence never shows up. What if they respond, who are you? Here's your mother. Here's your brother and your sisters. Who do you think you are? This is just a phase You're zealous now, but give it time. So that makes us wonder, is it even possible for us to return back home and see people saved or changed? Does it really sound like it? This is a real hopeful night. (laughs) But here's the reality. It's actually possible. And it's more possible than you would think. Because we know from history and the record of the Bible itself that Jesus' family actually came to belief. His own family members. Right? James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were his cousins. They grew up together. Their mother was Salome. Right? And you can link all kinds of you know, texts in the Gospels and you can figure that out for yourself if you want. It's not difficult. Right? Peter and Andrew, another two of the disciples, they were business partners with James and John. They grew up together. They were all buds. They had to have grown up with Jesus. And and, and Jesus' own brothers, James and Jude, wrote books in the Bible. The book of James, written by his brother. Book of Jude, that's by his brother too. They're mentioned in the text we just read. And there's some people that think that when you're reading a list of the disciples and you come across James the Less or James son of Alphaeus, they think that that's the same James that wrote the book James. And there's all kind of Greek and Aramaic transliterations that I won't go into, but trust me, it's a pretty strong argument. Right? So it is possible to get your family saved, which is good news. But the point isn't to perform the miraculous. The point is to live like Jesus. Because the difference is, in one case, they wanted miracles. In the other case, Jesus lived with them. He slept on the ground with them. He ate with them. Spent time together. I'm sure that they tripped over rocks and laughed at each other too. Which is a beautiful thought. Jesus lived with them. And I think when you frame it like that, it kind of makes what James talks about in his book, in chapter 2, it kind of puts it in a new light for me. He says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of them says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? 
In the same way, faith by itself, if, not, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. James comes down hard on this point because I think that's what won him. If I were a betting man, I would bet on it. That the way that Jesus lived, the deeds he performed, the things he did, more than the miraculous or the words, is what won the heart of his half-brother, James. Jesus clearly lived it out. And what James is saying in this moment is, faith must be lived for it to be real. Faith must be lived for it to be real. And real faith, the faith of Jesus, is rooted in the kingdom of God. Its soil is humble service. The water is unselfish love for those around you. So if you want your faith to grow, plant it in the soil of humble service and water it with unselfish love for those around you. See, it would be really easy for us to be like the exiles and say, pray, or do the right things, but never actually live it out in our lives. So maybe instead of saying and praying and doing the right things, maybe we should live the right things. What does this mean for us? It means when you go home, And you have all the zeal in the world. And you're so excited about laying a foundation of faith in your family. Maybe instead of opening your mouth, maybe you do the dishes. Maybe in the morning you make your bed. Maybe you serve your parents and your siblings dinner. What kind of heart attack would your mother have if you vacuumed the house? And here's the deal. Don't do it expecting them to say thank you. Because whether they say thank you or not is inconsequential because God changed you and not them. Does that make sense? God changed you, not them. So don't expect them to respond different. But I expect you to live different. So, we are about to celebrate Jesus coming into the world. And despite all the jokes I make about Christmas time, and I am a bit of a humbug, I love this time of year. It is so beautiful. My favorite Christmas song is actually a child song. It's called The Friendly Beasts. It is one of my favorite songs. I sing it all the time. Do you know it? Okay. The first verse goes like this. Jesus, our brother, strong and good, was humbly born in a stable rude. And the friendly beasts around him stood. Jesus, our brother, strong and good. And then all the animals take turns singing songs about what they did for Jesus. 
I, said the donkey, shaggy and brown, I carried his mother uphill and down. I carried his mother to Bethlehem town. I, said the donkey, shaggy and brown. I, said the cow, white and red, I gave him my manger for his bed. I gave him my hay to pillow his head. I, said the cow, white and red. Isn't that beautiful? And in that we have a picture of what we need to be. Because when you do these things, you're not doing them for your parents or your brothers or your sisters. You're doing them for Jesus. For whosoever gives a cup of cool water in my name does so for my sake. Jesus, when he came, his birth was announced with miraculous things. Angelic choirs sang in the skies. The stars moved in the heavens because they wanted to be closer to him. Beautiful things. But when the shepherds and the magi found him, it looked wrong. Here's the coming king, God of the universe, ruler of all the earth, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the host of hosts. And when they found him, he was lying in a grimy cattle feeding trough. And the witnesses to his birth were a bunch of dirty animals in some backwater town no one had heard of. It was all wrong. So, when we come, when we return home, we've got to do it in the same way that Jesus did. Let's have the band come back up. We have to return home in the same way that Jesus came to us. We have to come in a spirit of humility and servanthood. Because if we come like the exiles did, with grandiose ideas of saying the right things, praying the right prayers, doing everything correctly, we'll be responded to the way that, that they did. Who are you to say these things to me? They've They failed to grasp the character of God. They came with spiritual arrogance and pride. But if we come and we clothe ourselves with the character of Jesus and we return home with humble love and service, then we will see God's presence fall. So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to live like Jesus. When you go home and your parents ask you, what's this Chi Alpha thing all about? I hope that you show them more than you tell them. Rake the leaves. Clean the kitchen. And if you really feel it, clean the bathrooms because that's gross. (laughs) That's my hope. And that's my challenge. 
is that when you return home, it will be marked with the character of Jesus and that we will serve our families and love our families. So that instead of saying, who are you? They're going to say, who are you? And it will be good. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we're going to spend some time singing and praising you. But Lord, as we do so, I pray that you would give our hearts and our wills the attitude that we need to serve our families. God, let us be clothed with your presence, your humility, your grace, your kindness. Lord, I pray that we would be like you and take off the outer garments, wrap ourselves with a towel and wash our family's feet. Because if we come in any other way, we'll do a disservice to your kingdom. God, I pray that this message would be burned in our hearts and minds so that we won't forget it with all the chaos that finals are going to bring. So that your kingdom will advance. So that beauty will grow in our homes. I pray for every one of these students, parents, and brothers, and sisters, uncles, aunts, cousins. I pray that when they go home, they will love and serve and give in such a way that your word and your love will pierce the hearts of their family. And that their families will be changed and reconciled to you because of the way that they act, because how they live. Jesus, you're so good to us. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Be with us, God.